Welcome to Hillside Baptist Church Podcast. We are a church that is committed to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is our privilege to open God's word with you. It is our prayer that you receive the message from the man of God with an open heart. That through God's word, you are encouraged and equipped to face life's challenges. But most importantly, it is our prayer that you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior if you haven't already. If you'd like to connect with us, you can do so at hillsidebc.com, find us on Facebook, or send us an email at info at hillsidebc.com. We hope that you benefit from today's message and that you would share it with a friend. But let's now open our hearts and God's Word. Well, we sure have a lot to thank the Lord for, don't we? And I tell you, we could go on and on, and we should, uh, honestly, uh, spend more time praising Him enough. And so uh, this morning, I just hope and pray that our hearts are able to look to Him in thank and, uh, thankfulness and gratitude. I invite you to turn in your Bible to Psalm chapter 69. Uh, let me, as you turn there, I just share with you from the Trosclairs. They're down in Florida. We were able to take a, a load of supplies to them after Hurricane Ian. And they said, thank you for the sweet love offering for our repairs. We have a good ministry going uh, through this hurricane. Please pray for things to get back to normal. Love Ron, Barb, and Jolie, their puppy. And so uh, pray for them. Uh, Also, uh, Sister Barb had two successful eye surgeries this week to repair some cataracts. And so uh, continue for for her healing. It's good to see the Baskins back with us from uh, all the way from Ethiopia, Tanzania, uh, and other places. And one, which one is it? Ethiopia. I thought you said something about Tanzania earlier today. Well, forgive me, Ethiopia. And so the Lord blessed greatly, had 17 saved in the dedication service and 20 surrendered to ministry. Uh, just God is doing great things there as they begin a missions, worldwide missions movement right out of Africa. And so we're grateful for this and the work that God's doing there. Look in Psalm 69 with me. Today and this week we celebrate what? All right, what's your favorite part? So holler it out. One, two, three, go. All right, good. I have no idea what y'all said, but praise the Lord. I'm glad you got a favorite. You know, I love the, the food. I love to spend time with family. I love uh, to watch. That's like one football game a year I might watch. Uh, but the one thing I dread, but uh, my wife looks forward to, is treating me like her personal slave uh, as we put up all the Christmas decorations. Can I get an amen from some men out there? All right. Well, we're looking forward to it regardless and looking forward to being able to remember because our nation has set aside one day to be able to say thank you. Now, our nation's confused as to who we thank. We thank maybe ourselves, we thank our employers, but we still thank the Lord. We, th- we recognize all, every good and perfect gift come down, comes down from the Father above, in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And so we stop today and say, thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. And so we're going to pause our study in, jo- in John for this week. Or remember, remember uh, we have seen him... Uh, at the trial, uh, we have seen him in his suffering, and uh, next week we will see him in John chapter 19 as he is uh, there, as he dies on the cross. So you don't want to miss uh, next week's message, but today we want to just focus on this idea of thanksgiving. Or maybe you could uh, turn it around and just simply say, giving thanks. As a matter of fact, one of the most famous verses we see is First uh, Thessalonians 5.18, in everything... Give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, this is a great verse, isn't it? It makes great for uh, a place to put on your wall and everything, give thanks. How many of you find this verse incredibly hard to live out? 
Okay, good. Some of you are lying. Uh, some of you are telling the truth. Uh, but here's the reality is it is really hard to give thanks in everything. As a matter of fact, it's, it's easy to say it, but a lot more difficult to practically live it. But, and, but this time of the year is a time of the year we say, listen, we're going to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the good. Thank you for the not so good. Thank you, Lord, for those other things too. And I think about what some of us have gone through in the last year. Some of you have lost loved ones and said goodbye. And boy, that's been difficult. But you know, through it all, my prayer and hope is that we can say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the life. Thank you for allowing that, that life of that person to be with you now. Maybe you're a person that has gone through great uh, trials in other ways, relationships or other things. And let me just tell you, even in these, these times, we can give thanks. And so that's where our, my heart is today. And so as we do this, I just want to remind you a little bit about where Thanksgiving originated because the story, and many of you are going to say, listen, Pastor, I know this, I learned this in, uh, in my elementary school teacher. Great. I want to give you a little bit different perspective. And I want you to see the hand of God in it all. Because you see, when we recognize that God is one we can trust, and when we recognize that He is one that is faithful through it all, what we find is that we can trust Him and we're much more at peace, even in the situation we can say, Lord, I don't understand this, but I give you thanks for it. So I want to talk about Squanto. Anybody know who Squanto is? All right, good. Well, just a couple of minutes, we're going to talk about this, uh, this man here. Here's a portrait of him. He was a man uh, that God used tremendously uh, as a special instrument of his providence. Historical accounts of Squanto's life vary quite a bit, but historians believe that around 1608, more than a decade before the pilgrims ever landed in the New World, a group of English traders led by a man named Captain Hunt sailed to what is known as uh, Plymouth, Massachusetts today. And so in the trading with the uh, Wampong, uh, I, I'm not even going to try to say this, these in, this Indian group, I had practiced this, you know, you could go onto uh, uh, Wikipedia and it says, okay, how do you pronounce this? And so I did that a couple of times, I'm, so W-A-M-P-A-N-O-H-G, your, your, your turn. Brother, Dr. Weigel's really good at pronouncing this stuff. You want to try? No. All right, all right. He says, no, 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 no. <laughs> listen, listen. So they, they stole Squanto, some other Indians as well. They took him back to Spain where they sold him into slavery. And God had an amazing plan for this man right here. And he took this man. He was just a boy at the time, and his name was Squanto, and was bought by a Spanish monk. And the Spanish monk began to treat him very nicely and began to talk to him about the Christian faith and began to teach him a little about, about Jesus. Eventually, Squanto was, made his way to England, and he worked in a stable of a man named John Slanley, Slanny. And Slanny uh, sympathized with Squanto's predicament, and he said, listen, I want to help you get on a boat and get back to America. That's where your people are. And so but it wasn't until 1619, 10 years after he was kidnapped, he was finally on a boat and the ship was bound for America. And more than a decade after exile and heartbreak, Squanto was finally on his way home. And when he arrived in Massachusetts, one more heartbreak awaited him. He got there and an epidemic had wiped out Squanto's entire village. It was COVID-19. I don't know what it was, but it sure seems like that's the way we treat it. And so he was the only survivor of this, one, uh, of this one situation. And so we can only imagine everything he'd been through already. He was kidnapped, but God used that situation to protect his life and to bring him back to America for such a time as this. One year later, he didn't know why he was there. He didn't know why the, everyone had died. He didn't know the answer to this, but a year later, the, the answer came. 
A shipload of English families arrived and they settled on the very land that once was occupied by Squanto's people. Squanto went to meet them and he greeted them in English. Could you imagine that? Here's a, a Native American that comes to you and says, not how, but hello. It just totally messes up Hollywood movies. Well, according to the diary of uh, Governor William Bradford, he said this, Squanto became a special instrument sent of God for our good. He showed us how to plant our corn, where to take fish, and to procure other commodities, and was also our pilot to bring us to unknown places for our profit, and never left us till he died. When Squanto uh, lay of a, uh, dying of a fever, Bradford wrote again in his diary, he said, Their Indian friend desired the governor to pray for him that he might go to the Englishman's God in heaven. Squanto, at his very end, left all of his possessions to his English friends and uh, as remembrance of his love. You see, God, sometimes you look at a man like this and a life like this that was so, uh, so topsy-turvy, and he went through so many heartaches and so many trials, but in the end what we find is that God had a bigger plan and he was working it all out. And I'll remind you that the God of the pilgrims, the God that, uh, that they worshipped there, the God that uh, was able to bring them over and carry them through that horrendous winter, the same God that brought Squanto is the God that we serve today and the one that we're going to uh, just uh, share about this morning and His, and His faithfulness to us. And I'll remind you that His life sometimes reminds us of maybe what we go through. But I'll remind you what the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, and we know all things work together for what, church? For good, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And so how can we give thanks? Even in the most difficult of situations, this is how. Because we have a God who loves us, even in the midst of us. We have a, uh, in the midst of it. We have a God who stays faithful to us uh, through all of the circumstances, even if we don't understand it. Listen, God still works like this in our life today, but unfortunately we're impatient, aren't we? We don't want to wait those 10 years to see how God, or 11 years to see how God brings it all back to fruition. We don't want to wait that time. We just want, listen, I want patience and I want it now. That's our philosophy. But God still works if we will just be patient and trust and wait upon Him. So we're going to look at Psalm 69 today. We're going to see that principle laid out here of praise and thanksgiving. Uh, but before I do, let me just introduce this passage a little bit uh, because we've not studied a lot out of uh, Psalm 69 in the past. So I want to give you a little bit of a background. This is, many people believe this to be a Davidic psalm, and so David would have written this. And a lot of times we think about David as a poet, right? He wrote some beautiful uh, songs that would be sung uh, in the temple and tabernacle worship. But at this particular time, we recognize that there is uh, quite a bit of prophecy even in this. And so this particular psalm, uh, it speaks a lot about Jesus Christ and points forward to the Messiah. And so, for example, in verses 1 through 21, we see Jesus and we see uh, the skull-shaped uh, hill outside of the walls of Jerusalem called Golgotha. And there we see Him hanging in agony and, in, and the, with the blood dripping down. We see a tearful cry of a tormented Savior there in those verses. And then verses 22 through 28, there's a sudden change in, this, in the psalm. And these verses record some of the most terrible curses in the Bible. As if we've been transported to the bloody fields of Armageddon and the curse of God is upon these people as the Lord speaks here. And then finally in verses 29 through 30, 
36, where we're going to focus today, is there's another change. And it's as if we've, we're transported one more time when we take our final stand in that blessed and renovated earth where the promise of the rainbow has been fulfilled and the glorious millennium day has gone and we see the dark shadows of this earth have fled away. And this earth has been cleansed, is redeemed people. Look forward uh, to a thousand years of peace and prosperity. And so thus we find a triumphant, victorious praise today. And so that's where we want to be. Look in Psalm chapter 69, verse number 30 through 34. We're going to read part of this today as we see this moment of praise, this time of exclamation. And I, and I just have to remind us that, listen, we don't have to wait to the millennium to be able to praise our Savior today. And we instead, we look forward that even today we can say, Lord, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. And so Psalm 69, verse number 30, as we look there, uh, let's stand together as we read this passage, if you don't mind. Uh, so if you're able to, just stand with me as we read verses 30 through 34 here in the passage together in God's Word. Verse 30. He says, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify Him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than ox or bullock that hath horns and hoofs. The humble shall see this and be glad, and your heart shall live that seek God. For the Lord heareth the poor and despiseth not his prisoners. Let the earth uh, excuse me, let the heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moveth therein. Let's stop and pray. Father, thank you for this passage. Lord, this time of uh, just jubilation and triumph as we read Psalm 69, Lord, may this resonate in our hearts today. Lord, many of us, many of us have been through some, some valleys, but we've found that you're a faithful friend. And so today we just want to stop and say, God, you are glorious, you are wonderful, and we just give you our praise and our worship and our adoration today. And so for those who are in the midst of it, help them to look up. Help us to see your faithfulness. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated? You know, oftentimes we look at Calvary and we think about the difficulties that Christ went through. And we see that, that Christ on Calvary suffered greatly and in in, uh, physically He suffered. And we recount, as we did last week, the, uh, the scourging that Jesus went through and the lashes that His body endured. And we see the pain uh, that was associated, then the nailing to the cross, the bearing of the sin, uh, the separation even in that moment uh, that He experienced. And all of those things culminate there on Calvary. But something I even often miss is what Hebrews 12.2 reminds us of, and that's what was on on the mind of Jesus as He hung on the cross. You see, in the midst of His hardships, in the midst of the most excruciating thing that we could ever imagine, the Bible records Christ's outlook on this situation. He says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, we're so attuned to the sufferings of Calvary, we often miss the fact that Jesus Christ, even in the midst of that suffering, even in the midst of the hardest trial that He's ever endured, was able to say there was joy there. You know, there's no place on earth quite like being in the center of God's will. 
You see, Jesus Christ was in the center of the will of the Father. And though He suffered physically, there was great joy even on that cross because He knew that that sacrifice, that suffering, was something that would bring one glory to the Father, but also would redeem mankind. And so as we look at this, we see Christ's example of this suffering Savior was not all entirely bad because He was able to say, Lord, there is joy even in this. And so we find, and we go back to 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and we remind ourselves, in everything, give thanks. Remember, Jesus could do it on the cross. Jesus did it on the cross. And as He suffered there uh, so willingly, we find that there was even joy in there, and we were able to give thanks through that situation. And God calls us to give thanks. He's endured he has suffered far greater than we could ever. He had no home to lay his head. He had no security financially, but he trusted that the Father would always supply. He knew the severity of the trials. He knew the pain of those that, uh, uh, of what it would be to have someone you love reject him. But in it all, he rejoiced. And so we're going to see that today, that in the same vein, you may be going through something that's difficult, but we see in Psalm 69, we can rejoice, we can give thanks, we're going to have a heart of thanksgiving in this. Look in verses 30 through 31 together, if you will. He says, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that hath horns and hooves. Let me just mention first, God wants us to give thanks for his creation. First off, we wouldn't be here without him. Amen. Uh, listen, there was no some sort of cosmic accident that just happened to uh, go bang and, and then over the course of billions, millions, uh, they, they keep extending it, putting more zeros on it, like that's going to make any difference. But listen, there was no magical thing that happened in the universe uh, that, that set, suddenly happened unless you say, uh, in, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You see, that's, the, that's where it all begins. Far, far better than just an obligatory offering that was demanded by the law. You said, we are called to praise the Lord because we are fearfully and wonderfully made in His image and in His likeness. Man, when I look out there, I don't see a bunch of crazies, although you may be. You know what I see? I see people made in the image of God. You're precious in the sight of the Lord today. You see, without the Lord, there is no life at all. And today, this is the fundamental truth uh, of our faith, is that we were made by Him and for Him. But without this truth, without this fundamental truth, what we find is that the rest of the Bible is also in question. You know, science is constantly catching up with, uh, with the account of the Bible. Uh, for many years, scientists, uh, and we can quote-unquote trust the science is what they tell us now today, scientists believe the earth was flat, but the Bible has always maintained that it was round. You know, the Bible uh, has maintained that there is no uh, evolution. When, when evolutions deal with uh, evolution, they oftentimes talk about uh, uh, macroevolution. This is big changes. Uh, you know, you lost your tail, you were a monkey, but you lost your tail. Uh, and your hair fell out somewhere along the way. Some of you are further evolved than others. That's why you don't have any on top. Well, I don't know what it is, but it's just in me today, so you all have to pray for me. But this, this is, the reality is there are some variations in the DNA that God put in there even before time began. And if you look around in this room, you'll see that each of us are distinctly different. If you want to open my iPhone, you can't open my iPhone because it requires my fingerprint or my wife's fingerprint. Y'all can't open it. I haven't put your fingerprint in there because we're distinctly different. But you know, even though there's, there's been thousands of years since creation, there's still similarities. We all still have two eyes. We all still have a nose and... 
Uh, hopefully ten fingers and ten toes, amen? But one example of God's uh, just uh, evidence of creation is the tassel-eared squirrel. These are found on the north and south rim of, uh, of the Grand Canyon. I think I have a picture of them. There we go. Uh, and this is the best picture I could find. Uh, hopefully you can see. You can see a little bit of difference in variation in colors, but if you look at them, what are they? it's the bottom picture there. They are almost identical in shape and size. The colors are different. You know, this would be an example of what they call macroevolution, where uh, the color variations are there, but there is no change. Even though evolution says, it says that, listen, these two have not been together for millions of years uh, since the Grand Canyon was formed. But the reality is, the Bible teaches us there is a young earth, about 6,000 years old, and that it was through uh, the, the receding of the floodwaters that we see the Grand Canyon was carved. And these two uh, examples were separated by that. But listen, even though they've never been able to, uh, to be together again since that point, they're still exactly the same. Why? Because through time, it has allowed that the, the uh, DNA has consistently stayed the same. Now listen, I'm different from my dad. People say, listen, you look like your dad. You look like your mom. I said, no, I'm a little different than both of them. But it's all still within that DNA. You see, this doesn't prove an old earth or an old creation, but a young creation. Evolution is presented as scientific, while creation, uh, creationism is presented as an ignorant religion. But the re truth is, is that if you strictly follow the rules and laws of science, will lead you to believe not in evolution, but in creationism. And many scientists have gone out of their way uh, to be able to say, listen, uh, this is, uh, I'm going to disprove God, I'm going to prove evolution, and in the study of that, have, have been able to themselves been converted to believe in some sort of higher being that created. So if we're able to say, though, listen, if we follow this reasoning, if we say, well, listen, it was an evolutionary accident that we're all here, God doesn't exist, then we are not accountable to any kind of higher being for our actions. Matter of fact, the popular religion today is humanism in America. And from their website, the American Humanist, they said, the humanist lives as if this world were all and enough. He is not otherworldly. He holds that time spent on the contemplation of a possible afterlife is time wasted. He fears no hell, seeks no heaven, save that which he and others created on earth. You know what he's saying? I'm not responsible to anybody. But you know what the Bible says? In the beginning, God created. And then not just that, but we understand through Genesis 1 as well as Exodus chapter 20 that it wasn't uh, any kind of a gap, but it was a six literal day creation. Day one, day two, day three, the Bible repeats it. And if you look at the, even the Hebrew, you find that it would be the evening and the morning. and It would be a complete 24-hour cycle. And so if we reject, though, these truths, these simple truths that I remember as a child understanding and, and, and learning about in Sunday school, these, these are foundational truths. Jesus pointed to creation. Then you can't believe Jesus was God because He would have been a liar. You see, we can't believe in the Ten Commandments because right in the middle of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 is the, the teaching that this is a literal six-day creation. But let me just remind you that the reason that many people reject the Lord today, the many reason that many people don't want to give praise to God is because they don't want to feel responsible to Him but one day, the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 27, and, it is, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, 
the judgment. The, the, the Bible is true. We will all die, and when we, that, that time comes, then we will stand before the Lord, the Creator of heaven and earth, and as a result, we will give an account for our lives. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you don't, you will be judged according to your works. If you do know the Lord Jesus Christ according to your, uh, as your Savior, you will uh, not stand there according to your works because you've been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see... I remind you that as our Creator, we all, He has also given, uh, has the authority to determine how we live this life. Romans 12:1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies of what church? Living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. You see, the reason uh, that we have a saved, baptized church membership as Baptists, the reason that we uh, desire for us to live holy, sanctified lives is because God wants us uh, and has a calling and a purpose in our life that we should uh, abstain from fleshly lust, that we should give our lives and totally, completely to Him. Why? Because He is our Lord. He is our Creator. Without Him, I am nothing. Like the old song says, Without Him, I could do nothing. Without Him, I'd surely fail. Without Him, I would be drifting like a ship without a sail. You see, that's the reality. Without Him, we are nothing. We give thanks because He's our Creator. We give thanks because of His mercy. Looks, look here as we go on in this wonderful text. And we see in verse number 32, The humble shall see this and be glad. Your heart shall live that seek God. For the Lord heareth the poor and despiseth not his prisoner. You know, modern advertising has played on the pride of man. And, and they just loves to stroke our ego, doesn't it? Matter of fact, I was, we were driving yesterday to uh, go look at a church building in preparation for, uh, for our future building and growth here. And as we were on the road, I, I, we passed by a Dr. Pepper sign, and it said, uh, the tagline was, Because you deserve it. And I like Dr. Pepper as well as the next guy, but I don't deserve it, Dr. Pepper. I, there's, there's not enough good in me to deserve even a good Dr. Pepper. And I love Dr. Pepper. I don't drink it every day because I, I don't want uh, the effects of all that corn syrup and sugar. But listen, I enjoy Dr. Pepper every occasionally. Listen, the Bible says, and it's very clear on what I do deserve. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, For all have what, church? sin and come short of the glory of God. You see, it's just the opposite of what strokes our ego. All of this advertising today tells us, listen... Get the rest you deserve. It's on a, uh, on a commercial probably for a hotel. I don't remember where I heard it. And you know, because you deserve it when you buy Dr. Pepper, you know, all of these things try to stroke that ego and say, listen, you deserve this. But you know, as we have an inflated view of ourself, we deflate our view of God. You see, John the Baptist understood this. And he came to the conclusion at the end of his ministry, he must increase but I must decrease. You see, we've reversed that. And we've said, listen, I must increase and he must decrease. It's not about what he wants, it's about what I want. You see, the reality is we fall far short of the glory that God intended for our lives, doesn't he? We often lie, we cheat, we steal, we envy uh, others in their lives. Murders are committed daily in our town. Our pride drives our arrogance and our flippant attitude toward others. We could go on and on. You look at Facebook for about three seconds, you understand that we are all sinners. Amen? 
listen, we put up these pretty pictures of our family and these wonderful things, or we, we post, uh, and, and that strokes our pride, and, and people say, oh, what a beautiful family, and it's all these wonderful things, but the reality is, listen, I just want to get another notification. It's all about me. But the Bible teaches something different. It says, listen, when I inflate myself, I deflate my view of God, and I'm no longer grateful for the great things He's done. Are you grateful to Him today? The Bible says, because of our rebellion and sin, that God has given life. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Listen, the reason people die today is because we're sinners. But then mercy stepped in. This is a song I found, and I think it was West Coast Baptist College that had actually produced, had sung this, but this is the words I wanted to share with you. I had no righteousness to call my own, no worthiness to bow before His throne. Though I'd lived a life to do right, I was still so far from perfect in God's eyes. There was nothing I could do to take away my guilt and shame, and justice said my death was the price I'd have to pay. But when mercy stepped in and stood in my place, mercy saw my need and covered me with grace. An old rugged cross was the sentence I deserved, yet I was spared the penalty of sin when mercy stepped in. Aren't you thankful for mercy? There's mercy in salvation. Let's look at this in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. In the Bible, we see mercy and compassion are most perfectly demonstrated and characterized by God's merciful and loving care for His people. In particular, the gift of mercy through Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3, 9, God is not, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This word long-suffering means to be patient, the Lord has delayed His punishment that we might be able to enjoy and have an opportunity to receive His mercy through Jesus. When I was a child of about four and a half years old, I realized that I was a sinner. I was in need of a Savior. I had chosen to disobey God. I was a sinner. Listen, my dad drilled that into my hind end many, many times over the years growing up. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I'd done wrong. And the Lord reinforced it as we, He went over Scripture with me and He led me to the Lord. And I put my faith in Jesus Christ and was gloriously saved. Listen, I was in need of mercy just as a child. And, and if you're an adult here today and don't know the Lord is your Savior, if you're a teenager today and don't know the Lord is your Savior, if you're a, a child, listen, no matter what age you are, we all need God's mercy. And that comes through Jesus Christ. There was a mother who once approached Napoleon. She was seeking a pardon for her son. The emperor replied that the young man had committed a terrible uh, offense uh, and justice demanded his death. And the mother explained, listen, I don't ask for justice, I plead for mercy. Napoleon replied, but your son does not deserve mercy. The woman said, sir, it would not be mercy if he deserved it, and it is mercy is all I ask for. Well, then the emperor said, I will have mercy. And he spared this woman's son. You see, we need mercy. We all need mercy. I don't deserve what God has done for me. I don't deserve Jesus' sacrifice. That's why it's mercy. But we also need mercy in our life. Think about this today. As you went through, got in the car, uh, if you're like most families, you're running a few minutes behind this morning. Amen? It was cold outside. The car didn't want to start. Maybe you didn't want to start. Amen? You want to stay under those blanket, blankets and just a little warmer, a little longer. 
And when you get in the car and you're rushing your wife to get in the car, come on, or maybe she's rushing you, I don't know which. You took a little longer to do your hair today. Listen, and, and you get in the car and there's a frustration that's already built there and you get in the car and what happens? Boy, that argument starts up, doesn't it? The devil knows how to just, just to stick the, uh, I always call it uh, poking the bear, you know. He knows how to poke the bear. And, and inevitably, it always happens on Sunday morning before church. But this is what I recognize, is that we need mercy in this life, don't we? I need to give that to my wife, and she needs to give a lot of it to me. Psalm 33, 22 says, Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we hope in thee. Listen, I'm not sure that we want to pray this prayer because the word according as means in proportion to. And so if we said, Lord, let thy mercy be upon me according as we hope in thee, maybe we don't spend enough time in prayer and trusting and, and just waiting on the Lord because sometimes we get such a rush to go through our time with Him. We, we worry over the pressures and anxieties of this life, which is the, just the opposite of trusting in Jesus. Jesus. Listen, we're not hoping in Christ. Oftentimes we're anxious uh, uh, in spite of Christ. And yet His mercy offers to cuddle us like uh, those soft, warm blankets on a cold winter day. And we're cuddled by His mercy and, and we see that there is great hope and there's expectation in His working in our life. Colossians 3.17 reminds us, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. You see, seeing the mercies of God happens as we practice thanksgiving. We practice looking for reasons to praise Him. Count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. You see, we practice that. When we say, listen, Lord, You've been so good to me. Every morning, every night when I, I go to bed, I want to be able to say, Lord, thank You for this that's happened today. Lord, thank You for what You've done in my life today. Lord, just that, that spirit of thankfulness. Why sometimes in, in this, we don't want God's mercy in the life of our enemies. You ever think about this? I want God's mercy heaped on me. I want Him to heap His mercies on me. But man, when someone does me wrong, man, God, get them. Anybody else been like that? Uh, that's, that, that's that human nature. Even the disciples, Lord, you, let's just ask the Lord to bring down uh, fire and brimstone on this, on this people. But here's the reality. God wants us to desire mercy for those as well. See, that was the broken heart of Jonah as he was looking over the city of Nineveh there in Jonah chapter 4 and we see a man angry and obsessed with his bitterness and his hate and he's obsessed with his desire for God to bring vengeance on these people and we see him at the end of the book miserable instead of joyful in God's mercy. Listen, we don't want mercy on, on our enemy because we don't want them to be blessed by God. We, we feel like the wrongs will, be, will go unpunished. It, it's as if I am more deserving, I am more deserving than my enemy. Yet Jeremiah realized as the prophet of God that he was just in, as much in need of God's mercy as the rebellious Israelites. And he said this in Lamentations 3.22. He says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Yes, we have a wonderful God. We have a, a marvelous God who's demonstrated great mercy to us, but what about the lost? What about that one that's done you wrong? Lord, may we have mercy on them just as you have on us. Finally, we see in verse 34 in Psalm 69, to give thanks continually. He says, Let the heaven and earth praise Him, the seas and everything that moveth therein. This is really, as we think about giving thanks, 
That's the primary focus of Thanksgiving Day in our country. It's a time to acknowledge and to be thankful, uh, but specifically as Christians, it's a time to be thankful for all that God has given us. Could you imagine the difference it would make in our life if every day we choose to be thankful? Every day to stop and say, Lord, I thank you uh, for your gifts in my life. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness in my life. Lord, I thank you uh, for uh, just even the smallest of things. Can you breathe today? Amen. If you can't, someone call 911. Listen, what has God given you today? Now, I'm going to send out in an email a little, so look for it into our church congregation. So if you get our newsletter, you'll get it. But there's a, a little booklet that's 40 days of praise. I want to challenge you. Uh, you'll see it this afternoon. I want to challenge you to take this book. It's a PDF. It's written by Paul Chapel, And just every day reflect on these 40 days of praise and see what it does in your life. A marriage counselor was meeting with a man and a woman and they had him sitting there in his office. And, and as they were sitting there that day, I, I, as I read the story, he said, all right, to begin this marriage counseling, he said, I want you both to just tell me one thing you're thankful for about your spouse. And the husband, he rattled off a couple of things and the wife sat there, her arms crossed. He says, well, what about you, ma'am? She said, nothing. I have nothing to be thankful for. You see, the root problem in her life was she had no heart of thankfulness. I can draw you back to this. We've showed it twice. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 In everything, give thanks. This is not just so God can get more praise. It's so that we're at peace in our spirit. It's so that we can have a change of mind as well. And the Bible teaches us that uh, what we should filter our mind about, and it should be, if there be any praise, think on these things in Philippians 4.8. It's part of that list. I remember Brother Tommy Stone, who was an old evangelist, and he would come to our church and he would sing and he would preach, and a tremendous man of God and great big old guy. And he would, he would tell a story about a couple of boys. They were kind of mischievous. And boy, they, would, they got a hold one day. His dad, their dad was uh, in bed, sleeping in a little bit, and they got some Limburger cheese and they rubbed it on his mustache. Now, if you, I don't know, I've never smelled Limburger, but I understand it's pretty raunchy smelling. And they took that Lindberger and they rubbed it on his mustache. And a few, uh, a few minutes later, he got out of bed and he's like, boy, this room kind of stinks. He got up and went to the bathroom and, and he got ready, shaved his face and got ready. He said, boy, this, this bathroom kind of stinks. And he went into the kitchen, he sat down for breakfast and he sat down and said, dear, I don't know what it is, maybe it's your cooking, but it stinks today. And it, boy, he got in his car and it smelled in his car and he said, boy, this car stinks. I don't know what's going on around here. And he got, it, it got uh, into the car and he, and he drove to work and he got to work and he stepped out on the parking lot and he went, boy, it stinks out here too. He says, matter of fact, of the matter, I think the whole world just stinks. You know, sometimes that's our philosophy. Sometimes we forget that God calls us to a spirit of praise, a spirit of thankfulness. I'm going to leave you with this final verse in Psalms 106, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth. How long, church? Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a privilege to share God's Word with you. If God has spoken to your heart because of the message, stop right now and respond to whatever it is God is asking of you. Don't wait another minute. You can pray right where you're at and ask God for His help. If this message has helped you in any way, we would love to hear from you. 
Let us know if you have any questions or we can help you with your decision. Jesus asked his disciples, Who do ye say that I am? And he offers the same question to you today. What would your answer be?